0: To episode three of Inside Out. My guest tonight is somebody who I know for 40 years. As a person, he's a loyal friend, very witty, and has enormous talent for mimicry. As a cricketer, he epitomized the never die, never say die attitude, and he was a complete team man. As a coach, he's been doing a fabulous job as a bowling coach of Team India. It's my pleasure to present Bharat Arun to you. Welcome, Arun. It's a delight to have you with us.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Ram. And it's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, to, start
0: with, you to start up with, are you still the stress buster in the dressing room like you were
1: in your playing days? What's life without a little bit of humor? And I think it, it always works. Um, humor is, is very good, at, uh, especially in the dressing room, sometimes tense situations. You need to come up with some humour and so it, that's, that's an icebreaker and I think it's extremely important part of the dressing room.
0: I would have only been disappointed if you said you are not. Uh, you should be what you are and the boys need it yeah. because it can be uh, full of pressure in the dressing room at times.
1: Uh, I think you need to be yourself. Um, and you've, you've grown up uh, being like that and I don't think you should even uh, try to change yourself, even though you are the coach. And uh, humour, I think, is the best way to connect to. It breaks a lot of ice. And uh, that is the quickest way to connect with people. So, I think if it is there in you, matter as still well be yourself.
0: Yeah, I've always been intrigued by one thing, Arun. I can take the liberty of asking you, what does it take to be a fast bowler? And in the first grade. Place, what makes a youngster to say that I'll become a fast
1: bowler? You know, uh, when you're young, uh, especially looking at the wickets uh, as a uh, you would you want to bowl fast. More than getting wickets, I think, if you're happy, if you're uh, uh, you know making the batsman sway, you want to hit the batsman, you know, and you want to see him jumping, dancing around the wicket. I think that th- those are the things that really egg you on when you're young. But then later on, you uh, when you, as you're growing up, you realize, yes, you need those things, but you need to add up a lot, many more things for you to be successful as a fast bowler. But the thrill, the sheer thrill of being a fast bowler is, is I think, mind-boggling.
0: Over the years, a lot has changed because the has got better. There's a lot more uh, science uh, coming into training methods. There's a lot of other aspects from various sports that's come into fast bowling. Now, for example, if you talk about equipment, uh, do you remember the boots that you wore and played on matting
1: pitches? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you would also know that we, um, when when we grew up, we went to a man uh, who makes shoes in ICF. Uh, literally blood in your boots at the end of the day's play. Uh, you You find a few nails pricking you here and there. And then when you take your socks off, there's blood all over the... Uh, socks. So, I think the equipment has come a long, long way from uh, what it was when we started. Um, uh, Having a good pair of shoes then was a luxury. Uh, I still remember when I was a youngster, um, uh, I went up, Marath Reddy was a test cricketer. I went up to him and I said, I'm an under-19 cricketer and things like that. He wanted my, my shoe size and uh, once he got that, next day he sent me a pair of uh, boots which were made in England. It was the ultimate luxury for me, and uh, I feel wearing good equipment is a very very important part of a fast bowler's uh, you know kit. So it made a sea change in my bowling when I had uh, a good pair of shoes on. Uh, do you now think that the combo of
0: wearing improper footwear and playing on those matting pitches, you know, wearing those shoes, contributed to your uh, knee injury? I remember even T. A. Shaker had uh, knee
1: injuries in his career. Uh, do you think that uh, contributed uh, to the injuries? Uh, I think uh, a knee that is designed to last your lifetime, we have used up in ten to twelve years, and so that's where the injuries part of came. Um, I would also say the quality of grounds that we played. Um, Not all grounds were all that great. A lot of factors that contributed towards injury. Um, There was no um, people told you, your seniors told you, the more you bowl, the better you get. And at the end of the day's play, you should not have any energy to even lift your kit bag. So that's the way you need to work if you are a fast bowler. So we did a lot of things which is which in in contemporary cricket which is unthinkable. So, uh, very many factors, equipment, you can say equipment, wrong work ethics, um, the wrong kind of exercises we did. All those things contributed towards the injury. But But uh, We We have lifted our kit bags and ran after the practice sessions were over in one of the camps. I've done it many times. The number of times I've gone around Chepak. If Chepak were a temple, then I said God would have definitely given me a big Darshan. So that's the and all that we did was slow running rather than um, a lot of speed work, which is necessary for a fast bowler. So in lighter vein, yes, it did help us a little bit, but uh, I think it did more harm than good for us, the kind of work that we put in.
0: Yeah, for the young fast bowlers watching this, uh, good footwear is very important for a fast bowler. That's what uh, Bharat Aron is trying to convey to you all. Make sure That you get a good pair of shoes, uh, no matter whether you're practicing or playing matches with it. Uh, Now, uh, there's a lot of technology that's come into cricket. It started off with the uh, software for uh, video analysis. Uh, Do you think video analysis can be a double-edged sword?
1: I feel uh, it's like fire. Fire can be a friend, it can be a worst enemy too. When you use it judiciously, it's, it's your greatest friend. So is video analysis. And I think uh, uh, too much of anything is bad. But I think you, video analysis, if you can use it in the right uh, mix, Um, There are things which you can really uh, use up. Um, A lot of information and data which you get out of video analysis about. uh, It helps you in analysing batsmen, uh, the opponents, their strengths, their uh, uh, shortcomings. Also, it helps the bowler to understand, gives him a feedback as to what he is bowled at every given point of time. And it gives enormous uh, feedback for anybody to improve. So, I think if you can use it like that, you can use it judiciously. It's a great tool, and I would uh, for, I, I can um, uh, I can easily say that video analysis has been a very very important tool in my coaching career.
0: There's hello to everybody who's uh, watching us live and greeting us uh, now. The thing is that uh, the GPS trackers that are currently used by the Team India players, uh, how does it help them, and how does it help the coaches?
1: See, when we, when we talk of workload management, we are only looking at the number of uh, hours a batsman has played or number of overs the bowler has bowled. But in essence, a GPS tracker allows you to um, you know, it monitor all the movements made on the field. For example, a fast bowler playing a game would be running close to 20 kilometers in a day if he spends the whole day on the field that is not uh, something that is uh, you know uh, you, you don't you don't note that you only look at the number of overs he's bought. apart from the overs he's run around the field he's fielded he's he's moved around on the field so it's it's equal to running 20 kilometers a day you don't run 20 kilometers every day even a marathon runner wouldn't be running 40 kilometers a day he would do it on special days so that way i think a gps tracker gives you a lot of data and information which you can process and it helps us immensely in managing the workloads of uh, all the cricketers
0: there's a question here by dr praveen Mane. he's he's asking if uh, training from a young age will help in injury prevention
1: uh, i think you need to have a very strike a very fine balance between training and skill work uh, depends on what age. You can start training any age. If you, if you go to a professional strength and conditioning expert, he would give you training uh, according to your age and according to the fitness of an individual. I think that is very important. Not just uh, doing any kind of training. Training and skill. I think it's 50-50. Uh, you need to uh, have, a, they need to complement each other. So, if you're going to overwork on the skill and forget your training, That's no good or the vice versa. So, I think there's got to be a perfect balance between training and your uh, skill work.
0: All the scientific studies generally suggest that workload management is important. Uh, That is being done of late. Uh, Would it have helped, you know, if it was done when you were playing or how does it help and how does it work out, the workload
1: management in these days as well? it certainly does uh, help a lot it helps us to uh, understand how much uh, fast bowler should be bowling or uh, how much a player should be uh, playing on the field so obviously what happens is when he's you cannot control what happens in a game in a game you could be over bowling you could be bowling a lot more than what uh, you know you 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 are used to doing, but what you can really monitor is the practice and the training workloads after the game, which you're going to give a player. So if that is going to complement with the game. So after a tough game, um, every every player needs to rest. Rest is act. I mean active rest. So there's got to be some nice good training and he's got to have some time away from the skill. Uh, so if you can manage that. Uh, there's a right balance between rest and, uh, you know, uh, your skill work. I think that that's when a player can be injury-free. That does not guarantee that you will not be injured. Yes, you at some point, uh, especially fast bowlers may get injured, but then it makes you generally injury-free and also makes you that much more efficient.
0: You are talking about the quantum of bowling. Some years ago, it was suggested uh, by the system that we followed that a max of 120 balls per week is the ideal way to go about it. Did you find any merit in it?
1: I think uh, these are just guidelines. If you can work around the guidelines, depending on the different kind of bowlers and their workloads, I think you should be fine. You cannot, yes, um, I I cannot be very strict and say you bowled 120 balls and then you stop bowling. No. No. Maybe if I'm working on something, if he needs to bowl that much more today, he needs to do that or during the week, he needs to do that. And then I can give him subsequent uh, periods off so that he's he's got the right amount of rest and he's he's worked uh, uh, enough on his skill. So again, these are all guidelines which you can work around plus or minus a little bit. Does not really matter. But overall, keeping these guidelines in mind, uh, and most of these guidelines were, um, you know, brought into a uh, thing um, at uh, junior levels. And, um, you know, not that seniors do not have these guidelines. Of course, yes, they, they do have these guidelines. This is more so for junior cricket. Because people, very young uh, kids who try to bowl fast over a period of time, they tend to overdo it. And that's when injuries do in.
0: The science uh, coming into cricket and especially when it comes to training has really been of great help uh, for the fast bowlers especially.
1: Yes, it does. Because I think um, the way you train, um, the results are there to see for everyone. I think most of the Indian fast bowlers, they they are very, very, very... uh, strict about their training uh, schedules and uh, they do not miss even a single uh, training session. And, and so this has contributed really to them being really fit and uh, not only uh, fit, also bowling. Uh, They're all bowling 140 plus and they are doing it over consistently over a period of time. And so I'm, I'm uh, totally convinced that you need to be in training, you need to be like a racehorse, which is absolutely fit and raring to go for a fast bowler. It's very, very important.
0: What aspect of fitness uh, is uh, really important for a fast bowler? Of course, he needs to be fit all round. If you were to pick one aspect, is it the speed, the strength, the agility or the
1: endurance? Well, it's more like cooking a dish. You need so many ingredients and if you ask me what is more most important in that, I cannot miss out on anything. So uh, fitness for a fast bowler comprises all these uh, parameters of fitness and uh, yeah, uh, what I would say is each parameter should complement the other. It's not that you just overwork on strength and uh, you don't take care of your endurance and speed, endurance and speed. So, everything is important. If you look at an activity in cricket, everything is about speed. Okay, It's a fast bowler, it's about running in fast. For a batsman, it's running between the wickets, it's speed. For a fielder, chasing a ball, it's speed. And then you get moments of rest. So, how quickly you recover from that? is very, very important. So I think it's all about um, if you ask me any one parameter, I would say all the parameters are equally important and they complement each other.
0: Now, there's a time when people believe that reverse swing could be done by only a select few, but science has uh, made it clear that uh, provided the conditions are right, the things are done properly. Uh, uh, any fast bowler can you know produce reverse swing.
1: Yes, uh, earlier people said you need to be bowling at this many kilometres an hour for the ball to reverse swing. But then um, uh, it has been proved that people who are bowling much slower, I think reverse swing is an art which you can master. And especially bowling in the subcontinent, because the wickets are a little more abrasive in uh, our our, uh, domestic championship, Ranji Trophy. You, You wickets are placid, they are abrasive and sometimes you do play on grounds that are not all that great. So the ball becomes old. The wicket has a kind of a sandpaper effect on a ball. And so it becomes old and that is the most conducive ball for reverse swing. So I think most of them learn through that how to, how to, uh, you know, reverse the ball. Uh, so that, that, that comes in very, very handy when they uh, come up to play higher levels. For the benefit of the viewers, can you just uh, tell us what differentiates reverse swing from conventional swing? Uh, let me get a ball, I think, just a minute. Okay. Uh, I'm showing a ball here. Conventional swing is when the ball moves away from the shine. Suppose this is the shiny side and this is the rough side. Okay. Always conventional swing, the ball moves away from the shine. Okay. And I've I've, I've just got one ball here, so I wish I could show you the old ball, but I'm just I'm just telling you. In a new ball i think to explain reverse swing i need to go through go through the whole uh, process because it's like when you travel on a bike you feel when any object travels in the air it meets up with resistance so it is very much like um, a ball that travels in the air would definitely meet up with resistance it's like when you go on a bike you feel the breeze on your face on your uh, thing similarly when a ball travels in the air it meets up with resistance. So, what actually happens in swing? Initially, the shine is the same on a new ball. So, the orientation of the seam is extremely important. A slightly tilted seam, this way for an outswinger. So, what happens when the air hits the ball? On, on, on one side, the air clings onto the ball and it separates later. And that's where high pressure is found. On the other side, because the orientation of the seam, the air hits the seam, the air flow is disturbed and then the separation point is much earlier. So what happens is there is low pressure here. So high pressure on one side, low pressure on one side. So the ball moves always from high to low. Okay. Similarly, in reverse swing, what happens is or I can tell you when the ball becomes older, you shine only one side of the ball. So the same principle happens. The shiny side the ball swings away from the shine. Suppose this is the rough side. The side is rough, and uh, uh, there are micro tears also on the ball. So what happens on the shiny side? The air clings on to the sh- the orientation of the seam is not very important at that point of time. The air sticks to the shiny side, and the separation point is much later. So what happens? There is high pressure here because the ball is rough here. The airflow is disturbed, and then the separ- and then the air leaves the ball very early. So the separation point between the ball and the air is much earlier. So there is low pressure on one side. So the ball swings from high pressure to low pressure and it moves away from the shine. But reverse swing is totally the opposite where the ball swings towards the shine. Now, what happens is when a ball becomes very old, um, the shine on one side is not all that great. it's, It's just smooth enough. And on the if, 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 before I to reverse swing, I should tell you something about the golf ball. Why are there dimples on the golf ball? Because they are because they uh, when when the ball is hit, it travels a longer distance in the air because of the dimples. The air pressure is same probe. So what happens essentially in a in a very old ball is the shy, the uh, the rough side of the ball it's more like a golf ball. It's evenly rough. So it is more like a golf ball and the pressure on that side is uh, very even. Whereas on the shiny side, there are micro tears which are invisible to the eye that will disturb the flow of air. So now the uh, whole process changes. Whereas the shiny side, the separation point is early and on the rough side, the uh, separation point is a little later. But thereby creating high pressure on the rough side and low pressure on the, the shiny side, whereas the ball moves towards the shine and that is reversing. I think this is um, uh, scientifically been proved. But again, for a bowler to understand, we just need to show them how much they need to shine the ball and how rough the ball needs to be kept for the ball to reverse. And so they do try all these things in the net bowling with a older ball and then they learn. Another branch of science, biomechanics, uh, is playing
0: a crucial role uh, in poaching as well these days.
1: Well, uh, it's like a knife in a surgeon's hand and in a murderer's hand. Okay, Surgeon's hand saves lives. Murderer's hand, I don't need to tell you what happens. So biomechanics has been there in the past is there now and will exist as much as the sport is there biomechanics is nothing but the study of human movement so and there are basic principles in biomechanics it's not rocket science you don't need to study the whole biomechanics of uh i think that's a that's a separate study but as a cricket coach you need to understand the basic principles of biomechanics which will help you to be a better coach because biomechanics takes the guesswork out It gives you the reasons as to why somebody is doing something which is not right and how it can be rectified. So it gives the coach multivarious options as to how it can be done. So why not uh, embrace something that is a very powerful coaching tool. With so much
0: of science coming into cricket and cricket coaching, what about the coaches who are not fond of science?
1: Well, uh, I would say, like I said earlier, Biomechanics, you don't. It's not really for a coach's. From a coach's point of view, it's not really going deep into science unless you want to. You have a particular interest. But then, if you, uh, if you can understand the basic, it's not rocket science. It's pretty simple. It's if you can understand the underlying principles of biomechanics which I'm, I'm sure if a coach, if you want to, let me, let me put it this way, if you want to be a good coach, if you want to be a successful coach, where you want to make a difference in every player you work with, I think you need to equip yourself with, uh, with all the knowledge that is necessary in order for you to make a difference. Okay, so there are you can say it is mental, it's, uh, um, you know, tactical knowledge. Yeah, I do agree on all those. But then when you're coaching from grassroots to any player, if they want to make a change, if they want to make an adjustment, I think a coach needs to understand the concept of biomechanics in order. I I can vouch for a fact that understanding biomechanics made me a much better coach. So uh, I, I would definitely say, yes, technology is there for us to use like the question you asked me earlier how judiciously you use you don't talk biomechanics to a player it is for the coach to understand biomechanics and then talk just cricketing terms to the player which he would understand or sometimes you don't need to speak you just need to tell them what to do where to aim where to bowl and then that would change things dramatically.
0: There's a question from one of the viewers. What are the challenges that bowlers with an unconventional action face? You know, for example, they have cited Malinga and Bumrah. Do they face more challenges than bowlers with uh, conventional action? They're talking in terms of fitness, injury prevention.
1: Yes, um, unconventional bowlers. If one thing is, if unconventional bowlers are effective. I wouldn't uh, recommend changing them. But then, like in the case of Boomra, what has really happened is we knew Boomrah was uncon- uh, unconventional and there's a lot of strain and effort that you would be putting on his body. So, one way of offsetting is preparing a player to take the rigors of an unconditional action. I'm sorry, unconventional action. So, uh, uh, rather than trying to change him, which may not guarantee uh, The bowler performing at his optimum level, you might as well make him stronger physically in all the different parameters of fitness so that he is able to uh, take the rigours of the uh, unconventional action. How would you describe your style of coaching? Well, um, I always believed in one uh, principle of coaching. I said uh, a good coach expects a player to think highly of him. But uh, a great coach helps a player to think highly of himself. So my bottom line of coaching would be empowerment. To empower the players with the right knowledge so that they are ultimately they are their own coaches. But then you've got to be very careful. You've got to draw the line and say, I need to empower him uh, according to each one's potential. I need to empower them. When to tell them, w- what to tell them is extremely important. So if you ask me my style of coaching, it's about empowerment.
0: Uh, Would it be fair to say that your stint at the NCA some years ago provided a a great solid foundation to you?
1: I think whatever I am uh, as a coach today, I should uh, thank the time that I spent at NCA because I was a teacher or also I was coaching the coaches there and uh, which means... Uh, every time you you talk about your subject, your knowledge about the basics is getting that much stronger and also you're answering a lot of questions which the coaches put up to you. You need to answer them convincingly. I think I did that or I believe I did that. So I think that was the biggest learning curve for me as a coach and uh, you know yes if you uh, if you uh, to answer your question yes my stint at the nca helped me immensely to be what i am today